we're going to consider the obedience to civil governments. Obedience to civil governments, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through to 17. Last week, amongst other things, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, which is an exhortation to Christians. If you remember from last week, Christians are priests of the Most High God. They are citizens of a heavenly kingdom and... Such people are exhorted to conduct themselves in a manner that glorifies God before a Christ-hating, Christ-rejecting world. People who observe them, waiting for them to slip up and waiting for every opportunity to criticise. I think you'd know what I mean if you're a Christian. People will pounce on you the moment you do something wrong. And in a way... They've got every right to, I suppose. With that thought in mind, today we shall consider the Christian's relationship with those who rule over them, whether they be democratically elected governments or military juntas, absolute monarchs, despotic dictators, whatever. Are Christians to submit to those human institutions? Again, bearing in mind if you've been following what we've said so far, that we are citizens in a holy nation, the kingdom of God. Are we to submit to human institutions? In verses 13 through to 17, the Apostle Peter gave the answer when he said, again, just have a look at the first verse there, verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, and so on. (coughs) It's worth bearing in mind that like us now, Peter's readers would have been living under the authority of ungodly pagans in the various regions that they were scattered and which are mentioned in chapter 1 and verse 1. As such, what we shall consider today is as as relevant to us as it was back then to them. We're in the same position. What we have in these verses is an exhortation from Peter to submit to civil authorities. In verse 13, the Apostle Peter said, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And in Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul said much the same thing when he said, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Therefore, the civil authorities that we are to submit ourselves to have been placed there by God. And ultimately, those civil powers are under his authority. There are no exceptions. Even cruel leaders and despots are ultimately under the authority of God. For example, it becomes so clear when you read your Bible, especially the Old Testament, how clear it is that leaders, all leaders, are under God's sovereignty, under his authority rather. Pharaoh of Egypt whose heart, not only did he harden, but the Lord hardened his heart. 
Pharaoh refused to let the Israelites go. Probably all know that, don't we? They were slaves in Egypt. Pharaoh would not let them go. Consequently, the land of Egypt was afflicted with ten plagues. The last of those plagues was the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. Even though Pharaoh openly defied God with his refusal to acknowledge God and his refusal to let the Israelites go, and he was a particularly wicked man, these are the words that the Lord gave Moses to say to Pharaoh. Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And listen to this last part. It's most relevant to what we're considering now. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. When you think all that went on in Egypt, Pharaoh, his hardness of heart, his refusal to acknowledge God, his refusal to let the Israelites go, the plagues that were afflicted by God himself, all of these things, Why? What, you ask, why? what was all that about? God gives the answer. For this cause have I raised thee up, that's Pharaoh, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Then there was Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king of Babylon, God God used him to punish his own people because of their idolatry. Nebuchadnezzar, another wicked ruler. About 2,000 years ago, there was the Roman governor Pontius Pilate who authorised the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 19 and verse 10, Pilate said to Jesus, Speak thou not unto me, Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power against me except it were given thee from above. All the power that Pilate, the governor of the Roman emperor, all the power that he had and that he exercised there, It was given from above. Without in any way excusing Pilate or King Herod or the Jewish religious leaders for their acts of wickedness, the Bible reveals that the crucifixion of Jesus was in accordance with God's determinate counsel and God's foreknowledge. God ordained all of it. It was God's decree. And we saw earlier on today, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to bruise his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in so doing, in so doing, the work of redemption was accomplished. Therefore, as you submit to those who rule over you, 
be encouraged that God is in full control. As it is written in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verses 11 and 12, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honour come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Lovely verses there to learn all about the sovereignty of God. Even though the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. This is the kings and the rulers of the earth saying these things in defiance to God, waving their fists towards heaven, despite all of that. Nothing that they do, nothing that they say will will nullify God's plans as it is written in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1 the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water he turneth it whithersoever he will can you imagine that all those kings and presidents and dictators their hearts are in the hand of the Lord and God turns them wherever he wants to for his glory. Coming to coming back to 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13, Christians are to submit themselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. In other words, they are to do so in obedience to Jesus who said Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It's important to appreciate that submission to kings, their governors and governments, both national and local, is tantamount to submission to God himself. Even those authorities that are ungodly, because let's be honest, well, I'd be honest. Is there a government in this world that is godly? Simple question. Is there a godly government on this planet? I, I wouldn't have thought so anywhere. And the fact that they are all in submission to God, and we say thank God for that, It comes across very clearly in Romans chapter 13 verses 1 and 2 where the Apostle Paul said Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And again we thank God for that, that they are ordained by God. We thank God that the king's heart is in his hand. Again, we don't have to kid ourselves that as having been ordained by God, the rulers must be righteous and they must be God-fearing. 
both Paul and Peter lived under a regime in which the Roman emperors persecuted and killed Christians. Even so, as the 19th century theologian Robert Haldane pointed out, without the Roman government, Christians would probably have been exterminated. The Roman government afforded protection to Paul for a long time and saved him on different occasions from suffering death by his countrymen. Let Christians then, in every country, instead of joining with the enemies of its established order, be thankful for the divine ordinance of civil government and exert themselves to maintain obedience and peace. In verse 14, Peter said that the rulers are sent by God for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Similarly, Paul referred to civil rulers as servants of God, ministers of God, who bear the sword as revengers to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Therefore, even though vengeance belongs to the Lord, he has nevertheless delegated that right and responsibility to the civil powers with regards to the affairs of this world. And where the Apostle Paul spoke about them bearing the sword, not the tickling stick, but the sword, that can only mean that punishment of evildoers, according to the scriptures, extends to the death penalty in accordance with God's will. Last of all, in verse 14, not only do we see that the civil magistrates punish evildoers, they are also there to honour those who do well. As such, those whom God has ordained to rule over us can be both a curse and a blessing, depending on whether or not we submit to them. We work with them and not against them because they are ordained by God. I'm not a fan of our government, not a fan at all. I can't stand the fact that they actively enact laws that contravene God's laws, such as baby killing and so-called same-sex marriage. However, for me, an easy way to see just how much so the civil powers are ministers of God and ordained by God even our government here on the Isle of Man, is to imagine what it might be like if we didn't have anyone bearing a sword of justice. What do you imagine it would be like if we did not have any powers over us ordained by God? All the atrocities that we hear about and perhaps catch a glimpse of on our TV screens or on the internet that are perpetrated in various lawless parts of the world would be commonplace everywhere. Even here on our cosy little island, if it was not for the restraining grace of God, which is active through those who rule over us. If we did not have them, all those horrible things that we hear about, such as the torture and the beheading of Christians, 
would be greatly multiplied. We need to appreciate just how wicked people can be. We can be. Pauline and I, we have a friend of ours who is a missionary in one of those far-flung countries. And life is very cheap in that country. And our friend has told us that killing is commonplace there. How do people, how do families settle their arguments in that country? It ends in death. One family will end up killing the other family. We don't generally do that over here, do we? If we have disputes, we generally resolve them peacefully. Or we, we, we go to the police or whatever. But we need not imagine that people here are somehow more civilised than people in other parts of the world. That we're somehow better than people elsewhere. The very fact, I know I keep coming back to this, but it's important too, because this is so valid. The very fact that our island has embraced baby killing, almost unopposed, that should tell you something about how depraved people are, even here on this island. You can be sure that if there was no God-ordained leadership in our land, with God controlling things, controlling our government who rules over us, our streets would be red with blood. Do you appreciate that? Do you appreciate just how sinful sin is? Do you appreciate what the Bible is talking about when we read um, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? Because I still hear people, including Christians, who seem to imagine that somehow we're quite good underneath it all. There is none good but God. And again, we thank God that he has ordained these authorities to rule over us. To stop us from tearing each other apart. Just as little babies are torn apart in their mother's wombs. I think we have all seen in recent times what happens when there is no effective civil leadership that bears the sword. Gratuitous violence, looting and anarchy ensue and multiply very quickly indeed. If there was no God-ordained civil leadership, it would certainly be no better than in Noah's time. when, When the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Sounds awful doesn't it in the time of Noah. We're not there yet but we would be very quickly if God withdrew his grace. And again, we thank God for those who rule over us. Or when there was no king in Israel, 
but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That is not a good thing when you appreciate something of just how wicked the human heart is. Moving on to verses 15 and 16. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. It's not submission to the civil magistrates per se that God desires and requires It's what comes from it. The muzzling of foolish men who would otherwise delight in barking and biting Christians like mad dogs. Christians should not leave themselves open to attacks from such people. If you are born again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you have taken seriously what has already been considered last week and in previous weeks, that you are sojourning in this world, just passing through as a stranger and a pilgrim, that your citizenship is in heaven, that yours is a holy nation in which you are a royal priest, that you are a living stone in a spiritual building, whose chief cornerstone is Jesus, and so on and so on. As such, if you have taken these things in, if you have taken them into your heart and into your mind, you are no longer in bondage to this world. You are no longer in bondage to this world. You are no longer in bondage to the gods of this world. You are no longer in bondage to the devil. Having said all of that, you are bound to the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you are a slave of Jesus. You have been bought with a price. And by the way, that is the greatest definition of freedom. To be a slave of Jesus. And if you can give someone that definition, if they ask you what freedom is, if you've got the guts to answer them, being a slave of Jesus is true freedom. That's a real blessed thing to be able to say. But you are, you have been bought with a price. Jesus has redeemed you with his own precious blood. That is the best definition ever of true freedom. Being a slave of God. As a Christian and a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are to subject yourself to earthly rulers, which he has ordained. And in so doing, you are submitting yourself to your Lord, Jesus Christ. Finally, dear Christian, since your resurrection life is in Christ, you of all people have no business doing the things that God forbids. And you have no business using ungodly laws passed by ungodly rulers that we are in subjection to. Don't use those ungodly laws as an excuse to disobey God. When the apostles were forbidden to proclaim the gospel of Christ, the apostle Peter said, 
whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Similarly, in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, the apostle said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So it may reach a time when you are left with that decision. Do I obey God or do I obey men? May each one of you who comes to Jesus in repentance and with saving faith submit to our civil rulers for the Lord's sake. And when the time comes that society will no longer tolerate the proclamation of the sacrificial death and triumphal resurrection of Jesus from the dead, may each one of you consider it a privilege and a joy to obey God rather than men in compliance with God's commission to you to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins through faith in his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.